Hello, my name is Bonnie Arnold, and I am the producer of Tarzan. Hello, my name is Bonnie Arnold, and I am the producer of Tarzan. Those guys are such liars. I'm Bonnie Arnold, I'm the producer of Tarzan, and welcome to the commentary on the DVD. Kevin and Chris, say hello. Hi, I'm Kevin Lima. And I'm Chris Buck. And we are the co-directors of Tarzan. There you go. And uh, we're looking forward to sitting through the movie with you and uh, giving you some insight into our process. Yeah, we don't have to work now. We just get to sit and watch it and talk. This is the fun part. This opening sequence is really interesting to me because it took so long to pull it together. Well, I think story and (laughs) visuals, trying to figure out what exactly to do here, how to really introduce the movie, what background to tell. Yeah, and there's so much from reading the book, there's so much background that needs to be um, told before you can go into the main body of the story that we had to find a way to condense it into this very, very compact amount of time. To show how Tarzan actually got to to Africa here. I think we actually worked on this sequence probably for the whole duration of production, about three years we worked yeah. on uh, coming up with this opening. And uh, we tried many things trying to get to this point. I think one version we had, we started with the gorillas. We started in the jungle itself. Right. Uh, another version. And we never showed the humans. We never showed Tarzan right. arriving in one version. Right. The other one was to show how Tarzan's parents get killed. And we had a version in the, uh, I think it's actually it's actually on the the DVD here of, um, what was it? It was lightning and lightning the, the leopard. Lightning was Sabor. Sabor yeah. actually killing the parents killing and during a lightning storm. I think right. one time Michael Eisner saw the uh, story reel or a pitch of the opening sequence, and he brought up the idea that, that we actually went back to the original book, Tarzan of the Apes, which we based this on, of how Kala uh, actually loses her baby and then finds right. Tarzan. I, th- I think we were a little skittish about it at first. Can you put that sort of subject matter into a, into a film, a Disney film especially? And uh, I think we found out that we really needed that in order to connect with Kala and her, and her journey. Mm-hmm. And it really helped that bond with her losing her child. She immediately bonds with Tarzan. I think as an audience member, you accept that a little easier. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about the opening sequence without talking about Two Worlds, the song. And uh, it was one of the first songs that Phil Collins wrote, really. He, um, I think he wanted to do something with Disney animation for a long time. He was a big fan of the animation, and we thought he would be such a great addition to the film, really, first of all, because of his uh, skill as a percussionist and as a songwriter. And uh, only later did we realize that we really needed him as a singer, too. Right. Well, we wanted something different. We knew we wanted to... Uh stray away from what people were perceiving as our formula, the Disney formula. We wanted to try songs a little bit different, so um, using Phil enabled us to do that. I remember Phil drumming out the rhythms of this on the banister yes. the feature animation. <laughs> right. And I think it was the spring of 1996. Right. We and had a little discussion about what the song should be and how it should drive the film and went out into the hall and he just started banging away on the banister. Right. <laughs> and that was when it, there were no lyrics to it, right? It was right. just right. it's just the music. And we thought we may we may not need lyrics, although ultimately we decided that we needed Well, I think it was song. your idea, wasn't it, Kevin? The two worlds idea, two worlds one family. Yeah, I can I can remember talking about that pretty early on making of the film that that would be the that that would be the theme of the right. opening of the film this was actually the first if i remember correctly the first sequence boarded right on the movie and we actually boarded this before we had a script brian pimentel was our head of story 
And um, we talked about the beats of the overall film, and he went away and did this beat of it because we knew it wouldn't have dialogue, so we weren't relying on that um, to tell the story. We knew it was going to be a totally pantomime sequence. Right. That was always a tough part, though, this part of how much do we show with the parents? That was always to make it clear to the audience that, yes, the parents were dead, but... You know, we didn't want to be too graphic with it. So. I think we had to, when we started previewing the film, we realized that there were so many questions about what happened to the parents that we had to be a little bit more explicit about showing them right. actually in the corner because there were so many questions, what happened to the parents? Mm-hmm. I think this bonding that's coming up here between Kala and Tarzan was really probably one of the tent poles, the emotional tent poles of the story for us. Yeah. Again, this changed very little from the very first time we boarded it. John Rippa, who did the animation of young Baby and Young Tarzan, had just had a little baby. And I think he did such a nice job of capturing the nuances of a little baby, the movements and the cries and... Sneezes. We, we were very fortunate, I think, with a lot of our animators in that things happened in their lives that translated to the film. Mm-hmm. There's an image coming up here that I can remember thinking of when I first read the book, and it's that hand-to-hand sort of image of the baby's hand inside the gorilla's hand. And it's an image that really defined a lot of the movie, for me anyway, um, and really made me want to make the film. Well, it was the emotional side of it. I know when you were ta- talking to me about it, Kevin, you asked me on the project, and then, you know, it was Tarzan, and that was interesting, but there was the whole emotional side that I think had never been told that you were talking to me about, and it really, really made me want to do the movie. So, And this sequence is one of those, those key sequences that extremely emotional. I think this is a piece of the Tarzan that we've, we never really see in any of the movies that we know so well. Right. Oh, something bad's going to happen. Have you seen this movie before? <laughs> ah, Sabor. Sabor, the villain of the first act. Right, the animal villain. I can remember talking about this in the very beginning, how um, how were we ever going to you know, do this cat with all these spots? And uh, we, we went through a lot of different ways of doing it, and um, we even talked about him being a, a panther, a black panther at one point, and stayed away from it because of the Jungle Book. Right. Sort of connection. Right. And luckily we found an animator um, who was crazy enough to <laughs> to want to draw all those spots mm-hmm. and uh, actually demanded that he do it, um, which was which was lucky for us. Dominique Bonfray. Bonfray, yes. In our Paris studio. What's, what's also interesting about this whole opening of the movie is that there's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. There's about, I think it's six or seven minutes with no dialogue. Which I always found I always found very interesting that you can connect to characters and they don't have to say a word really. <laughs> I think the recording session we had with Glenn Close, she does the voice of Kala, and I think she had a she had a kind of a difficult time trying to come up with some of the vocalizations for Kala. Well, th- in, in, think this, in this sequence. Well, especially. think about it. You ask an actress of her caliber to go into a a booth. And make monkey noises. Grunt like a gorilla, <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> so, we I won't mean, look. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, she came out with a lot of great stuff that really sort of reinforces the emotional aspects of these, mm. of these right. scenes here. This is such a great moment when she sort of triumphs over Sabor. 
I think kind of wraps up this whole opening with Phil's song here, the, the reprise of the song. And here we are, we go into the depths of the jungle, we're introduced to our family for the first time. And this is really the first piece of dialogue, right here. But our favorite Rosie O'Donnell is Turk. Yeah, Rosie, with her, uh, she does even the baby boy. She does the five-year-old, she does the adult, and we, we decided to use her for the baby, too. We just pitched it up a little bit. We tried casting little kids that would might sound like her, but mm -hmm. to no avail. <laughs> well, it's hard, to, it's hard to get that attitude exactly. out of a little kid. I remember being so relieved when this line finally got a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Surrey, who animated Turk, did that with the teeth and the... Kind of looks like Mike, actually. <laughs> I think if you take Rosie and Mike and you put them together, you get Turk. Exactly. I'm going to be his mother now. I remember this part of the sequence being a real struggle for us. From a story perspective. From a story perspective. Yeah. Just because we always thought of Kerchak as being sort of the silent leader, the man of few words. And in story reel, it's really hard to put that across because you're dealing with just the still drawings of the character. And I remember talking with the executives at, at the studio, and we kept trying to define him, and we kept saying, wait a minute, just wait. Wait till we animate him, and you'll understand who he is. It's all in his posture and his attitudes. And I can remember when that first scene came in that uh, Bruce Smith animated, brilliant scene in this section, and um, they got it. Right. Executives got it, and uh, right. we were on our way with the character. It was hard, I think, because the strength of Kala and Tarzan's bond for us was so important in the story of the movie and what kind of helped trying to figure out what role actually Kerchak would play as sort of the father figure was right. tough, tough for us in a, from a story perspective. Right. I mean, he was, his character is basically about protection, yet um, there's something about him. At first, I think we were, we were shading him more as a villain, and we didn't mean to. It just said he, that's where he was coming from, protection, how to protect my family. That was that ended up being, I guess, a combination of Bruce's Bruce Smith's animation and Lance Henriksen's voice. And right. as hard as it was to get the character right, I think it was even harder to get the voice right. I mean, we must have listened to a thousand voices for Kerchak. We really did. Just to find a voice that would fill that huge gorilla body was a tough one to get that deep, rich I'm voice. Call him Tarzan. That's where we named it Tarzan. In our way, it's sort of an homage to Bambi. <laughs> We, we always look this five more minutes, two more minutes thing. We always look for things that felt real to, to human families. Exactly. And how could we get the human family to relate to the gorilla family and feel like they were, they were a community of love? This is actually a very tender moment between uh, a mother and a baby. This is what we originally called the lullaby, and then it became You'll Be In My Heart. That's yeah, we all... tried different versions. Sometimes it was just Phil singing, sometimes just Glenn close singing. And uh, we ended up on a combination here. Phil wrote this song. Um, it was one of the first songs that he wrote a demo for. And he told us that he wrote it over Christmas. And he was at some friend's house. And he wrote it on the back of a piece of wrapping paper, which he actually still has it. And we have a photograph of it in our Tarzan Chronicles book. He says he wrote it for his daughter, too. Yeah, exactly. It's really pretty. And he, I think it was one of the first things I heard when I first came on the project, this the demo of this song that he wrote, and immediately it just felt like a Phil Collins hit. <laughs> I mean, it was great. It was great. 
such a nice moment. I think we moved it around in a couple of different places in the in the film as well. It was always in Act One, but just I think it was a little bit later at one point and seemed to finally fit right here. Mm -hmm. Phil's original version was really long, too, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> I mean, like a 10-minute version. It was great. <laughs> I can remember talking to him about uh, the economy of, of the Disney song, and he was uh, quite amazed that a Disney song could last a minute and a half as opposed to his usual, you know, three- to four-minute ballad. I'm always so impressed with, with the locale of this movie. Um, Dan St. Pierre, our art director, just did an amazing job of making you feel like you're in this world. The light right. of, of the world coming through the through the leaves, the, the color of the world is just is just beautiful. Well we tried to go for a naturalistic look, not necessarily realistic, but but naturalistic so that people could feel like they could walk into this jungle and really be part of it. Well, I think that's some of the look, too, that the animal, you know, the characters, the animals don't sit on top of the leaves, and so they kind of are in it. Right, in the middle of the world. And the jungle feels like a character, really, in the film. I think that's what everybody was striving to do. There was a lot of talk about actually not doing Tarzan at five years old that's in the right. beginning. There's a lot of talk about going straight to him being, you know, the 20-year-old. Well, that's because we tried and failed so many times to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> That's we the great couldn't. thing about animation is that you can fail and ultimately make it work. Oh, right. we failed so many times. It just seemed like why, you know, stop at this moment in his life? What significant thing happened? I think what was really the determining factor for me anyway was that you've seen that story of Tarzan at 20. You've seen it many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. And really in animation, this is what we can do. We can really show this part of his life. His relationship with the animals and... I think also as far as his life story, a little bit we said this would be the time that he actually kind of really realizes that he's different from everyone else as a child. That You know, that's when you start sort of being aware of that around the age of five. Right. Here's, I think, one of our favorite shots of the movie. This is stunning on the big screen. It's totally right. overwhelming. I mean, they did the effects, did uh, morphing for the waterfalls. And, you know, it's just some amazing work that's, uh, that's up there on the screen. Here comes Tarzan. Alex D. Lenz did his voice at five. I yeah. had a great time recording those sessions. I'd go in the booth with him and we'd we'd act out the scenes and you know I'd give him direction right there in the booth and he'd be climbing all over me, you know, like like Tarzan does mm -hmm. in the movie. He's a really physical little kid. When we first saw him, it was like eight or going on eight, yeah. and then of course he was. By the time we finished, he was like ten. And luckily, his voice didn't change too much. <laughs> In animation, uh, we record the voices over about a two or sometimes two and a half year period. And when we're dealing with child actors, uh, sometimes we have a problem with the fact that some of the boys' voices may change during that period. And we were very lucky with Alex. We were within the window of the voice change. Some of them go from this to this within, the prime, within a year. <laughs> this whole thing about the dare and the elephant hair and, oh, another story nightmare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to... I guess really kind of established the bond between Turk and Tarzan and what was her relationship with him. And I think ultimately we sort of figured out that it was sort of a big sister type right. situation and, right. or like a big sister. Right. That she really cares about him but and she wants him to, to go away, just stay away from him. Instead of just being mean, we tried a version where she actually 
I think told him to jump off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the first time you hear Tarzan's yell. So it's uh, so ooh, that one hurt him. <laughs> what was really interesting is that we found a way to to put the yell in the beginning of the movie. That when uh, actually earlier when Kyle says "Go make your own sound," right, exactly. it defines how the you know how Tarzan came about. Exactly, it was one of those elements that we just decided there were certain elements that really are part of Tarzan that you just cannot. You know, you have to have, no matter what Tarzan you're doing in the, the yell. yell. But also, no one's ever seen the evolution of the yell. I think it was the first time that that had been done. So. Exactly. The cronies. <laughs> They're fun. I always like the idea of Tarzan realizing he could swim, when I think uh, gorillas in general don't swim. Ah, Tantor. Tantor went through many changes in the making of this movie. It's hard to believe that at one point we're actually thinking about Tantor being an adult. At this, when, at at this, this part, right? At this part, yeah, when, when Tarzan first meets him. And, uh, that didn't work either. Right. <laughs> well, we had this great voice. I mean, this, this kid is kid. amazing. This, this is actually um, Taylor Dempsey, who is the son of Rick Dempsey, who uh, works at, in Disney Character Voices here in the studio. And it's so cute. I think he's four years old, and, and Rick had to actually read him, especially with the long words, had to kind of, he couldn't read, so he had to recite, talking back and forth every line for him. They did a great job. Very cute. Always got to laugh. And Sergio Pablos did the animation. He did such a great job. So really good animation on Tantor. Remember there was a little bit of controversy at one point whether or not we could say but oh, yes. in the movie? <laughs> we finally, we finally said, it gets a laugh. Right. Yeah. That word with kids is a, is a real laugh line. Mm -hmm. um, people doing walla for us. For the walla is the just the talk in the background of the elephants. Some really funny stuff. Unfortunately, never are able to use everything. But no, a lot so, of it was uh, improv stuff that absolutely. they did. We just gave them the idea, and they went, they went wild with the stuff. It was great. This is another one of those classic moments that you expect in a Tarzan movie, the, the elephant stampede. I was a big Tarzan fan. I'd seen all the Johnny Weissmuller films, and I said, well, there are a few things you've got to have. And I can remember Bonnie at the beginning of the movie saying, uh, there has to be an elephant stampede in this movie. There just has to be. If you notice, a lot of our elephants are red, especially Tantor, or reddish. And people thought we were crazy. They said, what are you doing? Elephants are gray. And... <laughs> We showed them photos that we took on uh, our safari in Africa and that the elephants that we saw were actually jungle elephants and not the sort of savanna elephants, and they were actually red because of the dirt that they're in. The clay is red there, and they throw dirt all over themselves, and so we thought what a great idea to make Tantor red, just like the elephants that we saw. The whole trip was ter terrific. Uh, it's so African informed safari. the movie. I mean... Most most films actually go on a go on a research trip to begin with to try to help influence the film in a way that that makes it feel real. We were really fortunate to go to Africa on this film and um, visit the the mountain gorillas specifically and uh, got to feel like we were a part of their community. I think a lot of it too was sort of establishing the idea of this being, you know, we've done a, a film. Disney's done a film. Uh, they have in Africa. They have. <laughs> well, you know. 
The Lion King. I don't think I saw that one. (laughs) (laughs) But I think uh, the idea of sort of making it in Africa, but it's in a whole different place, the jungle versus the savanna, and how do we... Right, the rainforest parts, you know. The color and the whole look and different different types of animals, and Mm -hmm. I think that was one of our challenges, was there's two of the best films of all time of Disney's were Jungle Book and Lion King, and sort of how to make this feel like it was really different, just in a, not only a story sense, but just a different look from those other two films. Mm-hmm. It was great, though, because we got to study not only the animals, we got to be with the mountain gorillas and, and watch the elephants and everything, but also the, the beauty of the place that, uh, you know, we were immersed in it. This is another one of our beauty shots. You know, it's just a gorgeous shot the, the guys have done with the morphing waterfalls and the layout people and the background artist. Just, I always love the way it makes it feel like you're actually in yeah. the world, going into the middle of the world. The depth that these guys create with 2D artwork is amazing. Now, this was a moment that I was always a little skeptical about from the beginning, Tarzan looking at his reflection, because it seems like it's that classic Disney moment, and how do you do it a little bit differently? Mm-hmm. And when we came up with the idea that this kid is, this kid is angry, and that he actually pitches a fit in the water, um, I think it made it feel fresh, made mm-hmm. it feel different. It made it feel like something that, you know, kids go through. Right. Very real. And this is one of those sequences, I think, uh, was it Steve Anderson had boarded. Uh, and it, just an experimental board. Real uh, early, early, yeah, early. early on. We're not sure where it was going to work in the movie. but. but and he really came up with that whole idea of comparing the physical differences or, you know, things that are alike physically with uh, the heart. Right. And that was really that was really his idea, that made it into the film. I think didn't it take it when he first boarded it? Wasn't it in a tree? <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> up in a tree, <laughs> and Tarzan was sitting on top of her her belly, and they were sort of like trying to go to bed. Mm-hmm. But it translated pretty well. Oh yeah, and this is such a great. Here moment. we go. We get another hand to hand moment here. And this plays so out throughout the entire film. This motif. Voice is so nice. This stuff always made us cry, even even in the storyboard. <laughs> phase or when it went to story reels it's always amazing to me that that drawings that multiple drawings can make you cry what i loved about what um mark mancina who did our score did in this moment was to to weave in you'll be in my heart the uh, song of really the song of kind of colin tarzan into the score of this which is so lovely i think again it only enhances the emotion here yeah, I think with each sequence that we go through between these two characters, having that music comes in reminds you of the other pieces. Son of Man. Son of Man was actually one of the first songs that Phil submitted to us. It went through many changes along the way, but uh, we finally used it in this spot, which was a real appropriate uh, for Tarzan's growing up. Another song that Phil sort of delivered very off basically off just the treatment of the movie almost before we had a script that one of the first ones I, w- there was a tape that he sent in after we talked to him that had almost all of the the music on it not the lyrics necessarily but all the music for about what three of the songs at least yeah yeah it's unbelievable I always love the idea that you can you can have a time passage of 15 years and three minutes in an animated film. <laughs> These songs serve such a great purpose. God bless these songs. (laughs) But it was a nice showcase for a lot of 
Tarzan becoming kind of the Tarzan that we all know and love, him fighting the crocodiles and well, learn, learning to use the spear. Right, important story points that we needed. Yeah. Do, do, do either of you remember what the original lyric was? A king, son, m- son one of day man, you will be king. W- when we, one day you will be king. Yeah. And then we thought it was too much like Lion King. <laughs> so we actually went in and he rewrote the lyric. Right. Because I think it, I think his idea was in kind of pulp fiction, I guess. Tarzan was always like king of the jungle. Right. Well, what was the joke? We were the, instead of the Lion King, we were the Loin King. king. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I don't think I heard that one. <laughs> what was tough for us, too, was figuring out how these, we wanted Phil for the pop songs, and how the, and, but figuring out how sort of pop songs were going to sort of fit into the movie. Right. Was, was sort of, uh, I remember early on talking about um, how we define the music in this film, and we decided that Tarzan would not sing. Right. But we had a hard time imagining this this jungle man breaking out into song, so it really it really was a defining moment in that it uh, it sort of defined that we would use them as background in a sense that they would support the story rather than right. come out of the characters' mouths. Well, that was it. If Tarzan didn't sing, did the other characters have to sing? So this was always my favorite Glenn Keane animation of Tarzan. That back skating, whatever mm-hmm. he's doing, I just thought it was fabulous. This is really the scene where that whole concept of Tarzan as an extreme sports figure came into play. Glenn had this this concept, having watched his uh, his son skateboarding, that he wanted to try to bring it into the character. And um, he did this test scene for us. And at first we were a little skeptical. You remember not yeah. really... Well, we not, didn't want him to become a surfer dude. If anything, <laughs> please don't do that, Glenn. But he, he showed us, he brought that test. I remember us sitting in your office, Kevin, looking at it for the first time. And it really it had no, no dialogue, nothing, but it really defined the movie. Or we, really defined the movie in terms of Tarzan for the, us. The I way mean. he moves. Absolutely. And we, we actually took that test scene and said, why don't we use it in the end of this song? Yeah. Put it, put it as the final scene of that song, the defining moment for him at 20. Because it's the first time we see Tarzan as an adult, which is another one of those things is, what is this scene going to be about? Oh, this sequence is tough. <laughs> Luckily, we had a few kind of improv lines from Rosie O'Donnell and right. Wayne Knight that kind of just got us to where we needed to be here. Because really all we're doing is redefining their relationship at, at 20 years old. As grown-ups. And saying, and saying they still have that same sort of childlike sort of uh, sense of play. Wayne Knight, who did the voice of Tantor for us, uh, really brought a lot to the project. Again, he's a stand-up comic, and I think their uh, background as comedians and being able to just sort of stand up at a microphone and just improvise brings so much to these uh, characters in animation. I'm always <laughs> amazed at how many people don't see Sabor there oh, in the that... bushes. <laughs> this is really a section where we had to define how we use... Um, violence in the film, the violence of the jungle, the whole idea that there is sort of a savage mystery to the world. We didn't want to, we didn't want to make it too light, the world. And uh, Sabor became that character that we could use to define that, to define behind every, you know, every tree lurks, lurks some mystery. Right. Danger. It's not an easy place for Tarzan. We also um, sort of did something a little bit different where in the film, wherever a character is in danger, we sort of bring light in, and when they're in safety, they're in shadow. So when the gorillas are in their world under the trees, it's shadowy. But when the light comes in, especially with Sabor here, you'll see if it's a dangerous scene, and Sabor's um, 
on top of it here, then he's in he's in light, and then uh, really is a finely tuned sort yeah. of sequence in that respect. So we have him in light here. Sabor is in control. It's all in light. Tarzan scars exactly. on his chest. The cuts on his chest. We realized pretty early on that we wouldn't be able to draw them for the whole rest of the movie, that it would just be, it would just be too difficult. He had to heal pretty fast there. Fast healing Tarzan. We tried to get <laughs> Mattel to actually make a toy of that, but it never happened. <laughs> Tarzan's safe. He goes into the shadow of the branches. And we break through with light, like danger breaking through. I want to make it exciting, but not too scary, not too violent. Oh, here's Tarzan victoriously going to do his yell. How many people did we audition for know. Tarzan yells? Oh my I, God! I, I can hardly remember. Well, I think, and we we talked about trying a different type of yell, but then. Early on, I think we all agreed that the you know, Weissmuller yell was something that we all, you know, loved and wanted to sort of emulate that. So this is it's sort like of an a, homage, homage to that. Right. I think it was something that we all, everybody sort of, there was this expectation. and, and Right. It was disappointing when it was something it else. It was too different. It, yeah, it just didn't work. It just didn't work, unfortunately. But finally, I, li I like what we ended up with. I like the music that Mark Mancina created as the theme for Kerchak. It's coming up here, and um, I don't know. Every time I hear it, it just—I think it's my favorite, my favorite piece that he did. There's something about it that's very emotional, and just adds to the depth of the character. Well, it's very regal too. Mm -hmm. This was a hard section too, in that we were. I think we brought them together a little bit more emotionally at one point, and then we decided to save that for the end of the film. Actually. Yeah, that things were resolved already. So, so we uh, just when they're about to get together, we break things up a little bit with a gunshot. Oh gosh, Chris, we're coming up to my least favorite part of the movie. And my favorite. I know. Hey, it wasn't me. I swear. I don't know why audiences like that so much. Well, we had we had another line in there, right? And we had it another didn't line. get a laugh of Tantor's. I know, but there's always something about bathroom humor that appeals to the mass audience, you included. <laughs> <laughs> there's a real beautiful sense of light here, how the beams break through, and you can actually see little particles of dust in the light. Again, Mark has done, I think, a nice, Mark Mancini has done a nice job here of doing some stalking, you know, music that's sort of part of Tarzan that's great. Yeah, I can remember hearing this piece of music and thinking it really defined him in the world. Mm -hmm. right. I think also what's great about this sequence, too, is it feels like a real Tarzan movie. When we boarded it, we thought, oh, yeah, this is Tarzan. He's really, you know, just he's, he's tracking these guys. He's feeling like an animal. And I think the way he moves is incredible what Glenn has done, which you've got the different animals that he he emulates, the gibbons and the, the, the apes and the panthers, and you can... Mm -hmm. How he adapted to this environment, I think, was an important part of his personality. Right. Brian Blessed as Clayton. 
I, I really like this this entrance that we get here for the character in that uh and that he's the same colors as Sabor and he even looks kind of spotted you know we give that sort of that shadow effect on top of him and his ascot is the same color as Sabor's tongue Brian yeah, sort of fair. Clayton I guess really sort of takes over as the villain after we get rid of Sabor the animal villain is gone the human villain arrives and Professor Porter is played by Nigel Hawthorne. Nigel did a wonderful, wonderful readings that um, gave some warmth to the character. He did such a wonderful job and was a pleasure to work with. Nigel also has this great understanding of, of animation because he wanted to be an animator at the beginning mm -hmm. of his career. And it was wonderful to find that out, that he actually had this kinship to the art form. Plus, I think his background in theater and just, you know, all the training in the theater made it. I think they, those type of actors with that type of training do really well in animation. Just because you just have to sort of play to a microphone. Jane is played by Minnie Driver. I think Minnie Driver brought humor to the character of Jane where we really didn't expect it. Um, although we would probably have given her lines that were funny, etc., there was a certain quality to, to Minnie's voice and her personality that really made Jane, uh, you know, funny and strong in her own right. What she, what, what she brought, I think, is quite opposite from what we thought she would be to begin with. We were talking about her being a sort of Victorian woman held back by society. And um, that's not what she is at all, in fact. She did a wonderful job. She really redefined the character for us. We were Absolutely. really thinking about her in, in one way. And she came in and did her audition and totally threw us in a, in a different direction oh, I love with the that. character. I love that Clayton moment where he kicks up his gun. I thought Randy Haycock, who animated Clayton, that to me sort of helped define his character when I saw that kicking up of the gun, mm -hmm. something that Clayton would really do. The beginning of uh, the baboon chase comes upon us here. We were really lucky that we put this, this sequence coming up into production first. I think if we had put it into production in the middle of animation, we would have been in big trouble. We would have had about three baboons chasing her, I think. Well, we'd have started out with about 50, but we'd have had three yeah, by the end right. of the sequence because we couldn't have had time to animate them all and clean them all up. Right. And luckily, a lot of characters weren't being animated yet, so we used our, um, our animation base, our animator base, to, to animate the exactly. sequence. Mm -hmm. Bruce Smith, who actually animated Kerchak, also animated the baby baboon, and he became a favorite uh, character, especially by the consumer products division of <laughs> yes. the company. We even found a way to bring the baby baboon back at the end. So. Exactly. I swear we don't think about this when we're making the movie. We do not. We do not think about the merchandising possibilities, but uh, it always tends to work out in the end. But people love the baby baboon, and Bruce did such a good job. I mean, it was such a difference between what he did with Kerchak and right. what he did with the baby. I have to mention also, I think, Ken Duncan, who did an incredible job with Jane here, really working with Minnie's voice and uh, fleshing this character out. Just some beautiful work. We're coming up to the baboon chase, which I think was our first action sequence that we boarded and started animating. And uh, it just uh, displays a lot of our deep canvas, which is a new process that we've created for this film. Okay, you got to tell everybody what deep canvas deep ca is. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to tell them anything about it. We're just going to keep saying deep canvas, <laughs> and at the end of the thing, we'll tell them what deep canvas actually is. Okay, well, that's a deep canvas shot right there. Well, deep canvas was, it's, it's a new process that we came up with for this film. It was uh, with. Um, Eric Daniels and Dan St. Pierre uh, really heading the team up. 
And it was a way of creating backgrounds in the computer so that we would have more, much more depth in the jungle than just our standard 2D backgrounds. We can actually move around the jungle. Our camera can move around it in three dimensions. I so shots it, like this, which are incredible, going around the tree limbs. And what were you going to say? I sort of sort of I call it the the steady cam of <laughs> animation, where it right. actually sort of the Tarzan cam, if you like. Well, that's really what it is. It frees you up to be able to do things that a live action camera can do that an animation camera has never been able to right. do. Right. And people, when they see the film, they say, "What? Did you guys do? Is it a new 3D process, but no glasses and all that?" It's like, well, <laughs> in a way, it is. There is an incredible depth that you get with this. Uh, with it seems so appropriate process. for Tarzan because I think you want to be with Tarzan. You want to be involved in his journey and the way he moves. And mm-hmm. it just was such a great match for the way Glenn had created the character, really. Well, and actually the way Burroughs describes Tarzan's journeys in the book are so incredible. And you feel like you're there in the jungle. I think it was the first time that you know we could make Tarzan move like the book, like Burroughs had described him, and also... You know, painting the backgrounds like Burroughs would, had written about. And the character that he created had never really, not ever really had been seen on screen before. Not like this Tarzan. I think he described him as he could leap from tree to tree, limb to limb like a squirrel, and mm-hmm. incorporate all the elements. And again, I think we all read the book in the beginning. Right. It's a great inspiration to us. Tarzan speaking to the animals versus speaking to people. I remember this was a real defining defining moment for that, that he can actually speak. In front of Jane, he can only speak an animal language, but amongst his own community, he could speak in English so we'd, so we'd understand him. We also did something that was interesting. It's very subtle, but um, all the humans are British, and they speak, with the, they speak with that accent, which also sort of you know, separates them a bit because Tarzan in the ape community, they all speak sort of with an American accent. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know if it would work or not, but we never got any complaints about it, so we just let it go. <laughs> no, one, no one ever questions it. It's just, it's, it's there and it's presented straightforward and it doesn't ever become an issue within the, within the film. We also play Tarzan up as a great mimic, so in this sequence, when Jane does start to talk, he can mimic her, so that's how he starts to learn learn the English. The famous kick. Biggest laugh in the film. Absolutely. You stay away from me like a very good wild man. You stay. Again, I think this is the Jane's performance here is such a uh, it's a great example of how the voice talent and the animator's work sort of have to work at a, at come a, together. Come together. You had to create such. one one performance that's neither, you know, physically it's neither of those those two. Here we come into the hand-to-hand moment again, a real defining moment for for Tarzan. I also like the fact that it's not typical in that it's love at first sight. I mean, he just wants to find out what she's all about as a, a being that he looks, you know, he looks like her. Right. It's meeting another human for the first right. time. It's not, you know, meeting the love of your life. Right. And this, of course, beckons back to Kala and he, you know, being the same because of their heartbeat. And he wants to share that with her. (laughs) She doesn't really get it yet. (laughs) Thank you. It's a lovely heartbeat. It's very nice. This is the first time we as filmmakers heard Tony Goldwyn doing the voice of Tarzan. This was actually the first scene that we recorded with him, wasn't it? Exactly. 
what appealed to us about Tony's voice was the fact that he sounded very much like a, an adult man rather than a boy. Mm-hmm. And right. It, very right. rich. And I remember we took a bit of Tony's audition and a bit of Minnie's audition, and we cut them together. Mm-hmm. And to it see just, there how was they some, would sound. There was some chemistry there, even just with that, just listening to them. I think we liked it a lot. And it's always amazing to me that neither of these actors perform their scenes together, that we record Minnie Driver separate from Tony Goldwyn, and we, we cut them together and create a uh, chemistry between them that doesn't, that doesn't exist for, you know, in the real world, so to speak. The other amazing thing is that, you know, Tarzan was animated in Paris by our Paris studio and Jane was animated in Burbank at our uh, studio here in California. Two worlds, one movie. Exactly. <laughs> We're sort of working around the clock. They'd work at night, uh, or our night, and come in, they'd be finishing their work in Paris, and Kevin and Chris would talk to them on the telecommunication right. system that we Video. have, and then they'd go to sleep and we'd work all day here. and. They'd also send their scenes via the computer, and Kevin and I could look at their scenes and how they were playing. We might retime something and send it back. And so, uh, it's the first time we've ever done a, real, a uh, main character somewhere else, really, mm-hmm. a lead character. And then we head towards the human camp. And um, one of the things we did also in the art direction was that um, we defined who the characters were or, or the families of characters based on, based on the shape of the world. So when you're with the the apes you're in a very s-curved world now we come to the human camp and it's very it's very vertical mrs potts our favorite <laughs> homage to previous animated movies these things aren't alive there was a great sequence here about them discovering the camp that we actually cut out we decided we really didn't need it for the pacing of the movie but it was really one of my favorite moments there were some funny uh, improv dialogue done by our Walla group that was hysterical. Well, the, it was Turk learning how to speak French yes, from the, from the uh, record. On from the, the gramophone. Uh, gramophone, yeah. Right, and she had no idea what it was saying, <laughs> but it <laughs> tended to make a conversation. It was very funny. Ooh. And here we lead into, for us, not a sequence that was hard, but a sequence that was horrifically hard. <laughs> <laughs> Almost We've impossible. gone beyond this hard. <laughs> this is one that really shows the true collaboration between the artists involved. Um, and including the songwriters. Oh, I, I, I include Phil as the artist involved in the <laughs> making of the sequence. I mean, Phil first gave us a tape of, um, of the first ideas for this sequence. Right. We went away and did some boards. Then it went back to him. And he refined the song, went, came back to us, we refined it. Um, lots of story changes along the way. I went back and forth, and I can't even count how many times it went back. We, well, we wanted to give up so many times, but yeah. then, we, but then we, we had our dear friend Rosie O'Donnell, this Turk, and she wanted a song so badly. Yeah. <laughs> she said, I've got to have a song in the movie, and none of the other characters really sing in the film, but we felt like it would be okay if... Because, for, it, happens, Turk, sort of. because it sort of happens in the moment, exactly. I think. We yeah. thought it was all right. So we kept trying on her behalf. And I think we worked on the storyboards back and forth with Phil for maybe two and a half years on, oh, this, easily, easily. on this piece. I think the most, the most gratification, the most fun really was actually when we finally got down to recording the particulars because Phil, I think, made almost every sound, all, all the different percussion sounds himself, between playing the kazoo to banging some uh, cheap pots and pans that we bought at Kmart or Target or somewhere. I, I, th- I think he even <laughs> plays his head. He does. He, he, he plays tapping his head. on his head during this. 
So all the percussion was done by him, and it was just, it was really a lot of fun. It was, I mean, I think every, I want to say every storyboard artist that works at Disney have touched this <laughs> in some <laughs> some piece of that, that sequence. Oh, gosh. And it's fun, I think. I mean, I know I have a young child, and when she first heard it, even in, I played it for her on a demo form in the car. Yeah. Your kids too, right? Oh, Chris? my kids love it. Uh, they it's just the shoebop song. Yeah. I think that was really what convinced me to keep it in because I was really skeptical about it. And um, the way the way that your kids really reacted to it made me think, well, there must be something here if they're yeah. reacting that strongly. Oh, they loved it. <laughs> At one time we had Tarzan and Jane. We were debating should they be actually a part of the song or not a part of the song or how do they really yeah. come back into the scene? And that was that was tough, but. Well, it, it didn't seem to work because Jane was seeing the gorillas playing instruments and singing. And was like, well, wait a second. <laughs> We're breaking a wall there that wasn't, you know. She shouldn't know that stuff yet. Something magical about the music there when she first sees the gorillas. And, of course, Kerchak comes... Uh... <laughs> I think in this scene, Kerchak must be about 15 feet tall, exactly. <laughs> if you really compare them. But, you know, for the emotional feeling of the scene, we wanted to make sure that he was bigger than her. This is Bruce Smith's first animation of Kerchak. This and that, that thing in the very beginning of the movie, those two sequences. You start to get a real sense of what Kerchak was like by the animation. Then there's this um, great sequence when Jane, that I think was sort of Minnie Driver's first recording session we actually did. I think it was. The section coming up here, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And what, I, I mean, I can remember we came in with some, with some basic ideas about the scene. We had, a, we had a rough storyboard that we had done for this scene. And we had um, the storyboard for the baboon chase, and we showed her both of those things and let her go off yeah we just mm -hmm. said this is describe you know you're describing to your father what this is you know what just happened father and clayton what just happened to you and she did this unbelievably wonderful improvisation of the whole right. story uh, i think it was four or five minutes long oh, easily, to begin with, <laughs> and we had to edit it down to this um but it was just amazing each little piece of it was just a gem and I think this also helped us define Jane, in a sense, as being a much more sort of physical character, that she wasn't that Victorian princess, you know, afraid of the jungle, that she was actually, you know, one with the jungle, that she wanted desperately to connect with it. Mm -hmm. And that and that made for a different Jane, I think, than, mm -hmm. than you're typically used to seeing in, uh, in Tarzan films. Well, I think we had to feel, make her, again, she was another part of the Tarzan story that you could not you didn't want to lose, mm -hmm. but you had to really make her more, feel more contemporary and uh, ha make audiences, today's audience, more identified with her. Hmm. Red. Red seems to be the color in this movie of uh, <laughs> Kerchak and Tarzan's conflict. If you watch throughout the film, you'll see that whenever, whenever there's any animosity between the two, the scenes tend to take place at sunset. Sunset. <laughs> We go there, and we went for a different locale here too. It rocks, so it wouldn't feel as as organic and comfortable as the other scenes with the gorillas. There's, there's a lot of tension here. I think this is a kind of a tough moment for Kala, really, from a story perspective, in the sense that she realizes she's going to have to tell Tarzan the truth about where he came from. It's kind of a dilemma for the adoptive mm -hmm. mother. Right, that story really comes to to the forefront here. Well, he didn't stand upright. He sort of. 
this is another one of those sequences that went through many permutations before we got to right i think it started as a dinner <laughs> they were all having dinner and tarzan was going to drop onto the table it's funny and, that all the elements sort of stayed the same right although the all the context sort of changed a bit i think one of the things we want to make is keep a little bit of the romance alive and steve anderson another one of our one of our stroke board artists did this one and did a great uh, job. And instead of just talking about Tarzan, Jane actually got to draw him or describe him with, by sketching. And... Also in the sequence, I think you learn a little bit more about the humans. Remember, we, when we first met them in that earlier sequence, you didn't have very much time. But here, you know, this follows up on Jane being a good sketch artist, and that's why she is a help to her father. Right. And her father, the professor, who, you know, is very scientific and knows a lot about the apes, but really has never seen them in the wild. And again, a little bit more reveal of Clayton. And his mm-hmm. attitude towards apes and... And women. Women. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Tarzan sort of reappears on the scene here. Um, I think with Clayton, I think, you know, as far as him being a villain, I think that we didn't really want him to be... Didn't want him to be too big and over the top as far as his villainy. I think the villainous thing about him is just he's just not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. That's the scary part about him. I think ultimately Tarzan is his own villain in this movie. He's the one who brings down the downfall of his family because of his emotional needs. So to have a character, you know, an external character that was that was so heavy seemed to take away from him a bit. And I think another thing I think, you know, you guys talked to me a lot about was how we thought it would be great if we could have the focus be on Tarzan, that he was the lead character, he's the hero. And I think in some other, a lot of other films, you have focus on the comic characters and the villain. And, you know, there's everybody, uh, focus on everybody else but the lead character. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think Tarzan is in, is present in every sequence except for one. And that would be Trash in the Camp. Right, right. He's the central character, the motivating character in every scene. Well, that's certainly what started to help this sequence work was when we decided that Tarzan would be still the key character because he could have just been watching them do their thing as, you know, as they're looking at him, but he's just as interested in them as they are in him. Right. How to put Tarzan in the middle of every right. of every scene. Mr. Clayton, I think I'll take it from here. This is my favorite song. I couldn't have this part come up without telling you that this is my favorite song. <laughs> it's Ask- funny how everyone has a different favorite <laughs> song from the movie. Every time a new uh, Phil would send us a new song, I would tell him, this is my favorite song. And then Kevin, and then, the, then the strangers like me came up and I said, this is really my favorite song. <laughs> this was a great thing that Glenn Keane came, came up with in the storyboarding of the sequence, which is the magic lantern. Because it, what it really allowed us was to go to England, to go to you know, the world of man without actually having to get on a boat and travel there. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so, the early slide projector. That's right. what they call the, the, the magic nice, lantern. Exactly. The, the nice thing, too, about it is that, to me, this song is kind of a bookend for Son of Man, where Son of Man is Tarzan learning to be an ape. Strangers Like Me is really Tarzan learning to be a man or learning what civilization is all about. He's the luckiest man in the world. He gets to see a comet. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, again, the, you know, Keeping the romance, the the growing romance, or the attraction between Tarzan and Jane, keeping that in there. There, there are so many balls in the air in this song. You know, you've got the romance like you were talking about. You have Tarzan wanting to learn to be a, a man. You have Clayton's agenda, Tarzan's relationship with his family, and how how 
that all affects, you know, his dynamic in that family. I think um, Phil was most intimidated by this song. When we met with Phil Collins and we were doing some other recording, I remember it was in New York and we were in a recording studio and he wanted to talk about this song and I think he was apprehensive about could he write a song that needed to tell so much information. Mm-hmm. Well, it also started off as a song that the characters were going to sing. We we're going to have the Brits sing some of these. Right. That was back when we were still defining how, how music was going to be used. And we were thinking it would be one of those sort of Gilbert and Sullivan patter songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we defined that, that the characters wouldn't sing, that, of course, changed. And I think uh, Phil was a little less apprehensive about it. Right. But he, he literally turned it around in about... Two, less than two weeks right. and again it's just a really beautiful song I love the way that Phil also snuck in the ballad here when we really didn't want a whole ballad at this point in the movie you know at least he got a little bit of the love theme in here and then we go back to the rest of the song and this also follows I mean another another thing that we're putting across here is that Jane is becoming one with the world one with the jungle that she's actually capable of, of living in this world. You can actually see it in her costume. She's yeah. more free, her hair's down. Her. She's no longer wearing her corset. The boat could arrive any day. Now ask him straight out. If we had to do what we do in this, in this song, in scene, I think we'd be a, be a two-hour movie, really. I think that's one of the wonderful things that happens in, in animation is that you're allowed to cover an extreme amount of ground in the songs. Right, story-wise. Well, because this is supposedly Tarzan learns to speak English and all that. We, we think it's taking place over, it could be two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And, or, or and again, ultimately, it takes three minutes. Okay. You know, he learns English sort of quickly, learns the ways of man very quick. And he's tired them all out. <laughs> and he's fallen in love. You know, it's, I mean, it's quite amazing the number, of, the, the number of elements that are put across during the song. Clever transition. <laughs> you may notice that Tarzan has dreadlocks. I think that was Glenn Keane's idea. I want to say one of the other, somebody that was working at the Paris studio had dreadlocks. And mm-hmm. Glenn thought, oh, Tarzan would never be able to comb his hair. And uh, it worked well. <laughs> really, what we what, what we're playing here is sort of like the you know the adolescent kid showing up at his girlfriend's house only to find that she's moving, right? The moving van's in front, and the whole idea here um, that everything that he does from here on out is sort of based on his um, his love for Jane, mm-hmm. and that sort of becomes the drive. And we're setting up the clock, the ticking clock. The boat's leaving, and Tarzan's going to have to make a, some decisions in a hurry. If you look really closely, you can actually see Chris and I. In these scenes, were actually uh, thugs. And Glenn Keane, he's and a thug Glenn's also. In here too. Unfortunately, Bonnie didn't make it in as a thug. <laughs> or maybe fortunately. I think I'm, a, I'm an ape, though, so there. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Clayton also, is, his, his anxiety is ratcheting up, and he's getting a little bit more impatient with all of this. So. And we start to define why he's really there. You know that 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 he's really um, out for himself, and I think that starts to come across, and especially in this next little section with him, that uh, you see that very clearly. Um, and it was something that we tried to we tried to hide up to this point mm-hmm. to not have it come across strongly. Well, you see, it would be very difficult to come back ever. And if it's unclear that they're falling in love before this, it should be very clear here <laughs> that they do have feelings for each other. Oh, don't, 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 
I think Jane, too, is sort of, this makes Jane sort of think more about her life and what choices she's going to have to make. It's also interesting how there are, how are longer takes, I think, in this film than in a lot of animated films, especially in these acting sequences where we let things play out mm-hmm. in one scene. That whole scene with Tarzan giving the flowers and her explaining herself is all one take. And that's, and that's not very typical, I don't think, of animation. There are no trails through a woman's heart. This is when Clayton is sort of playing up to him. And yeah. Right. I remember at one point we had to actually call the, the Burroughs and ask them if it was okay that Tarzan hold a glass of yeah. wine in his hands because exactly. there are certain things that they don't allow happen. And they said, with Tarzan. <laughs> they said as long as he doesn't drink it, he's okay. Well, I think they try to protect him you know, being true to the character that right. Burroughs mm-hmm. had created. The purity of the character. Clayton. Okay, Clayton's the villain. Exactly. <laughs> but also I think this is the moment when Tarzan, he has to sort of make this decision that's really going to actually change his whole life. Yeah. And change the life of his family, yeah. in a sense. So he's manipulated by the villain. And there's me. There's Kevin. There's Kevin right there. I look nothing like that. <laughs> All you have to do is get Kurt out of the way. What? Well, I'd be happy to get Kurt Shut your trunk and get me out of here. This was a section that we played around with a little bit too, because we wanted to make sure that we that we kept some humor and keep Turk and Tantor a part of Tarzan's life. Right. Yeah. Or the experience that Tarzan's going through. We wanted to keep the humor, but not at the expense of the other characters. In a moment, we set this thing up that ultimately could make Kerchak look like a fool. Yeah. But uh, we tried to balance that really carefully. Something to move the story forward in the correct way. Without... And I love puppets, and I have to put a puppet in every <laughs> single movie I make. In this one, I got a little porter puppet. <laughs> Tarzan knows that what may happen, but he moves forward anyway on it. Again, we play the light and dark aspects of this, that the humans come in from the light, that the light pushes up on Kala, that she's in the safety for the moment. She comes out into the light and realizes what he's done. I think what was interesting about the acting on Kala earlier was that we were playing with the idea that she's glad he's back, but now she's going to tell him the truth. So when she starts walking towards him, she gets a little more serious with her expression, and but then she sees that Tarzan has brought... Someone else. I always love the fact that she realizes that that there is this human connection between Tarzan and Kala when she says that line, when she says mother. Mm. And I like like the the animation there as well, with the pointing of the finger. It's interesting, too, that Clayton refers to the apes as its, and the other Brits will say she. I think Jane is sort of the precursor to sort of the Jane Goodall and Diane Fossies of the world. We think about a lot of things when we make these movies, don't we? <laughs> you think we overthink it? <laughs> Too much time on our hands. And again, another deep canvas shot coming up, a really beautiful shot here, where you can go, again, almost 360 around Jane here. And again, highlighted or enhanced by Mark Mancina's beautiful score of this special moment when Jane and Porter finally see the gorillas for the that's first time. One, that's one thing that really happens in, in animation in general is that the, the score tends to give you insight into what the characters are thinking or feeling. I think it works really well 
in I like that the section. Way, I like the way Mark sort of, you know, established themes that were based on the songs that represented sort of each of the characters or sort of Tarzan and Jane or Kala and Tarzan mm -hmm. or Kerchak or... Uh, you know, Clayton or what, you know, seeing the apes for the first time and that type. And he used it again and again in different subtle ways. Mm -hmm. and, and in this scene, you have uh, Flint and Mungo. You don't get to hear them actually talk as adults, but here they are. Turk's um, friends who were up on the cliff with her way back when. The very beginning. They were animated by Chris Wall. Right. We, we did a real interesting thing through the making of the movie with the ape family. So we actually followed their progression from being, you know, the first time you see them through to this section where they're actually, they've grown and there are new members of the family. Right. We yeah. had Jay Jackson, who was the supervisor on the ape family, who had to keep track of all these guys. I don't know how many we ended up with. Oh, there's like I, 30 or 40. I think <laughs> there are, ultimately. <laughs> ultimately. And then that 30 or 40 at different ages. Yeah. I think there's an ape named Bonnie in there. There, there is. Twins, Bonnie 1 and Bonnie 2. <laughs> I could have used some clones of myself helping to me produce the movie, actually, but oh well. There's beautiful, subtle, um, dappled light, and we do this throughout the movie. And it's an incredibly painstaking process where you actually have to draw the dappled light for, for every frame of film. It was a nightmare for Peter DeMond, who was the supervisor of the effects for the movie, but he did a great job. It looks wonderful. It really helps root the characters and make them feel like they're in the world, that they're just not a flat, painted character pasted upon a background. The light that affects the backgrounds also affect the characters. Right, and especially since we were trying to do the deep canvas, trying to create more depth with the backgrounds, I think it was important to really do something with the characters so that they felt rooted in this, uh, in this environment. And it was, you know, I can remember times in production where we were really tight and, you know, running out of money or running out of time and having to, yeah. you know, go into these sequences and decide how we could do it in a cheaper way or a faster way mm -hmm. and still not lose the, the look of the film. It was, it was difficult for us. Yeah. I like this uh, animation here. Belem Boucheba in our Paris studio did Tarzan here. And he did some of, actually, some of the Kerchak scenes when they're on top of each other, like, right. like that one and this. There's a real sense of power and exactly. strength in the animation. I guess people don't realize how many uh, animators are on each team. It's not really just a supervisor doing one character. It's a whole bunch of people. Oh, right. With Tarzan, well, we had a team just for adult Tarzan that Glenn was leading up and probably had, what, about 12 or 15? 12, well, maybe, yeah, probably at least 12 or 15 animators. Then we had young Tarzan headed up by John Rippa, and he had several people with him. So, you know, it really is the supervisor's job just to keep the character on model, keep him acting the same way, and making sure that from scene to scene that the characters are hooking up and doing the, the same actions. So it's, it's really part of what I think what's magic about it is that you've got ten people performing one character ultimately. Right. And yet it feels as if you've got one cohesive performance. Uh, it's, it's extremely collaborative to the whole effort. I mean, we've got 1,100 people on our credits, so it's incredible. Kala's moment of truth here. She's got to tell Tarzan Come with me. where he came from and about his past. When I talked to Glenn Close about doing the role, she was so interested in the whole dilemma of Kala and really related to her being a strong mother figure and was really, that was appealing to her. 
And it's something we don't ever, the characters don't ever really talk about in the movie, but yet it comes across so strongly that she has this, this incredible fear of losing his love. Mm-hmm. The characters don't ever say it. Mm-hmm. Yet it comes across very clearly. And I think that's a, you know, that's a dilemma that happens in, um, in most adopted families. We did a lot of research early on talking to you know, psychiatrists and people who work with adopted families and got a sense of what it was like to be a part of that family. And the fears, the general fears that, uh, that the individuals have in those relationships. The music here, I think, is just stunning. The fact that it all comes together in this one moment at the end and all the emotion that you've gotten from those other two scenes because of the music come to this scene, I think. Tarzan's realization that this is his real family and this was him. And Ultimately, this is, this is what the theme of the movie is, is how do you define your family? Do you define it by those that you that you look like or those that you love. I think this is one of those, this is that key defining moment for him. We had written this sequence also with much more dialogue and uh, we kept stripping away lines and lines just to see if we could make it work with the acting, less dialogue and more more physical acting. And there's very little dialogue right now in the sequence. It seems to work really well. That was one of the challenges for the animators too is, is we were asking them to act as opposed to talk. And I think that was that was a real challenge for them. And they've come out, you know, it's come out beautifully in the end. I think I remember Glenn Close doing her performance here, and she was, oh, it was very emotional that day in the studio for her. And Tarzan coming out in his clothes, that, that was, I know that was the shoes and Glenn Keane attention to the detail of that and mm-hmm. what that represented for Tarzan. Right, his choice. Again, mm-hmm. he didn't have to say a word. We understood what the choice that he had made. I remember, we, we talked a lot about, because I think in the storyboard, the tie was actually kind of tied. Right. And there's a lot of discussion about how would Tarzan know how to tie a tie. <laughs> so ultimately, this was, the, this was the solution. We left it untied. Tears, too, were a big thing. I know when we were putting this together, I know I was, I was all over it with the tears. I think we reanimated them three times to make them feel real, to not have them feel corny or over the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 3D water. You get a really good glimpse of what we did. Pretty. We didn't come up with it till the end. I mean, clo- very close to the end. Did we? I, I mean, as far as the the um, technology to really right about three quarters of the way through, we decided that you know that we would do it in this way. Really, with Peter Demond, mm-hmm. our head of effects came in and said, "I want to I want to try to accomplish this in this manner." And once we went down that road, we had to keep every scene like mm-hmm. that because you really notice notice the difference between two D and three D water. I like this scene because I think it, it it was really the marriage of sort of this performance, but really the music that made. You feel for Turk at this point and know that she's really sad about Tarzan. And well, it makes her a three-dimensional character. She's just not the comic sidekick. She actually has some heart and some depth of feeling, and I think that's the turn that, that makes her character worthwhile in the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember one thing we really struggled with was trying 
to get Tarzan to go to England or talking about that idea. Should he stay in the jungle or should he go to England? Well, that was an idea that came up pretty early in trying to figure out the story. I remember our writer, Matab, right? Tab Murphy, um, wanted to tell that story about how Tarzan goes to England and his, um, his adventures in that world. And I think, if I remember correctly, we... We Pretty much want to stay in the jungle. Stay in the jungle. Well, the whole you'd time. set up you'd set up these great animal characters and his relationship with that and the jungle, so it was tough to leave that behind, you know. And just, right, and we felt like that was the story that you told um, that was told in live action so many times before Tarzan going to the to the human world. I think that was sort of story was that was sort of our biggest challenge over the whole thing was which. What story do we tell that, had, that would seem a little bit fresh but would be true to the character of Tarzan? Mm-hmm. I think that was sort of the double-edged sword of Tarzan. The good news was Tarzan was a, a character and a title that was so easily recognizable. But the tough part was everybody thought, had, thinks they've already seen that movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. Oh, they all have a preconception of what that movie is. So right. how do you live up to expectations but at the same time give them something new and fresh? Mm-hmm. And, and Edgar Rice Burroughs had created such a great character. And again, I don't think any other any film had really done done justice to the character, or at least not the way Edgar Rice Burroughs had described him in such detail. And I think we really hoped that we had we kind of accomplished that. Clayton. This is Tarzan's um, closest he gets to civilization in our movie. <laughs> the clothes, the suit. Really, the boat becomes sort of an alien environment to him. Mm-hmm. Everything's metal. Everything's painted not organic right and Tarzan just doesn't really fit in there but I think this ultimately leads to his decision that you know the jungle is where he belongs and that's how his story plays out kind of does set it up in a nice way for a sequel (laughs) (laughs) hint 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 (laughs) a sequel that I will not be making yeah we won't be involved with that (laughs) we have to start somewhere though you know I don't care this is Tantor's turn into the superhero. <laughs> the we love this guy. moment. <laughs> and this was really tricky along the way, too, because there were times when we made this over-the-top cartoony mm-hmm. and didn't seem to fit within the film. So this is, this is all about balance. It's all about creating the, the believable world, characters that can live within the world that you've set up. I think this represents one of the hardest interactions that you can possibly have in an animated film. You have 3D water and two-dimensional character animation. And getting the two things to live in the same world can be incredibly difficult. That shot got a laugh a lot. (laughs) How could that happen? We don't want to explain it. Don't even go there. I really like the, the use of lighting in this sequence and how the, how the light falls across the characters and how he moves into the yellow light. Um, again, that light of, uh, you know, being a man, so to speak. Once again, I, I think people forget how difficult it is because if you shot it in live action, you just, you know, you put your lights on there and the character goes in and out of these lights and you've got it. But when in animation, we have to figure out each shaft of light and how it goes over him. We have to draw all the shadows on top of him. And, right. I mean, every single sort of light source, the shadows are all drawn by hand. How the light affects the characters is all drawn by hand. Those stripes that go across his face are totally drawn by hand. And, you know, an effects artist has to figure that all out. I think it's interesting. I mean, the frame, for me at least, someone who's had a background in live action, just really the frame by frame, that you're creating every element of every frame. And that's why it takes long, and that's why 
there's so many of us to right. <laughs> for to create all the elements. Well, what what are some of the scenes? Some of the scenes have I mean like a hundred levels or something. I mean a character's one level, and then you got all these effects. So it's it's amazing. It's always staggering to hear numbers like that. Exactly. This is another thing you guys did with light, right? The the well, color really. Yeah, there's a nice sense of of color and how and how it plays out thematically within the story. That uh, you know, the blue is the safety of the gorillas. There, you know, it represents their home, and into that space comes this red light, which uh, which we've set up to mean uh, danger, a conflict. Right. And we also used the the flare guns to give us that red light. It wasn't just something that we just turned the dial up, you know, and it didn't suddenly really the world become, fit with the world. And then, and then Tarzan coming back to rescue his family brings the blue light back with him. Right. And all of this is really figured out in the in the art direction stage. Um, Dan Cooper went through the whole film and figured out beat by beat how the how the color would change mm -hmm. and how it would affect and support story. Right. He just did small little paintings, right, like an inch by inch kind of thing. I think this is one of those key examples where the you know, I think it's a little understood sort of thing that happens in animation is is editorial. And I think the editing in this section is is really, really phenomenal. It gives you a real sense of pacing, a real sense of, you know, those moments where we hold before, you know, the action, you know, comes back in again. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Greg Perler, our <laughs> editor, our wonderful editor. Great job. Who, wor who works with us from the very beginning of the movie to sort of help, even in story sketch, and as, as we go from story sketch to story reels to get, again, the pace and what works and what doesn't work. and Yeah, we give him the individual shots, and, you know, he's the one who, who develops all the pacing of the scenes, decides on how long each shot is on screen, which is a little bit different than what I think people perceive editorial and animation to be. Mm -hmm. I think they think that, you know, you animate the scenes and someone in the editorial just connects them together. Right. He well, even has a lot to do with the, vo excuse me, with the vocal performances. Yeah. I mean, help crafting what we get from the vocal and how, again, because the actors don't work in the room together, he has to sort of figure out from a pacing standpoint how to sort of put the put the performances together when two actors are, are, are two characters right. are interacting with each other. Totally crazy. The edit editing room. Yeah, especially like with Rosie or Minnie, who gave us so much great improv. He had to sort of edit that stuff down to just the greatest stuff. It wasn't scripted. There's a baby baboon back. The return of the, the baby, baby baboon. He was such a hit. <laughs> yeah, I had to bring him back into the it. film. He even is wearing Jane's boot that she lost in the um, baboon chase. I think the nice thing is that Tarzan and Jane are sort of working together at this point, and they sort of right. They're a team. They're a team. Right. Exactly. It's always a balancing act during during these these sections of the movie to to get the right amount of comedy and drama. And here we are back in drama. Oh, something we debated with long and hard about how what to do with Kerchak in the end. And Should we kill him? Should we not? not. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because in the original novel, Kala is the one who actually gets mm -hmm. killed. And we sort of made this choice to, to put it upon Kerchak because they had the defining relationship. They had to define their relationship at the end of the film. I think our original battle at the end here was it was totally different. We had it on, 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 a, a, boat. on a boat. Right, going down the river. Going down the river. Actually, and, and they fought on the boat, and the boat ended up exploding and killing Clayton. And it was sort of unsatisfying, in a sense, because, uh, you know, Clayton's whole, whole philosophy has been against the natural world, and here we were taking him out in the man-made 
um, environment. So we talked about how could the jungle do him in and uh, came up with this idea of uh, the vines, where he gets caught in the vines. I love that. It tricks almost everyone. Yeah. They <laughs> really they think he's been shot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were talking about the vines, and we said we would have it like, he almost like Clayton really becomes an animal himself. In a sense, he becomes Sabor. And this, mm-hmm. this sequence sort of mirrors the Sabor sequence in many ways. It takes right. place up in trees. Tarzan um, sort of goes into the safety of the vines, right. and Clayton chops his way into it. Mm-hmm. So it really mirrors the, the, the animal, that Clayton is becoming an animal. There are a lot of clues here that tell you what happens. Um, the vines around his neck. He cuts at his own vines. You see the vine go taut. So it sort of tells you what's going to happen so you don't have to show it all. Right. It's really a delicate matter um, of how you, how you show these things in a, in a G-rated film. And I think it also helps that, that Tarzan has some regret for what's happened to Clayton. That he's that he's not he doesn't stand victorious and say I killed the villain. He actually you know feels some remorse. Well, he tried to stop Clayton too, you know, from killing himself. I like the feeling that the rain brings here. You know, it's very sad. The world is the world is crying in a sense for the the event that takes place. But again, another difficult thing for the effects team. <laughs> this is a great moment in our voice recording experience with Lance Hendrickson. We actually, when he laid on a couch and we turned the lights out. Right. We were were doing the sequence over and over again, standing behind the mic, and it didn't quite feel like we were in the real real environment and it was happening in the moment. So we actually laid him down on the couch and you really felt that his chest heavy upon his, you know, his Mm -hmm. lungs. And uh, I turned the lights down. Played the whole scene. It's kind of interesting to actually play out a scene as you would in a live-action film in order to get the right mm-hmm. intentions from the character. I think we work really closely, too, with Mark Mancini, again, with music, how to end this scene, to sort of, as Tarzan goes into this kind of an goes interesting in. moment, because he's going to be taking, really taking Kerchak's place, in a sense. But right, again, Tarzan is sad. Well, I remember the first time he tried it. He, it was too victorious, too soon, and it just didn't feel right. So we, I don't know, he, Mark did something and just added still like a bittersweet quality to it, and then it got more victorious, the music did. Right. That there was a transition between the Kerchak moment and, right. the, and Tarzan taking over the, right. the group. I like the mood that the rain sets in this sequence. As much as I'm sure all the artists <laughs> enjoyed executing it every yeah. little splash is hand drawn now if you'll notice there's a trick there too now Tarzan's hair is blowing but you don't see the rain blowing do you <laughs> <laughs> or the or the gorilla's <laughs> hair blowing now don't ask where Kerchak's body's gone <laughs> who where to go I don't know. where's Waldo <laughs> The endings of Disney movies are always a bit tricky because you want them... The, the, the movie is basically over at this point. Um, there, you have a few... Tarzan's story is definitely over. You have a few things to tie up. And how quickly do you, do you tie it up? How quickly do you bring it all together? 
I can remember many people used to, when we were making the movie would say, the movie's over too fast. It seems like, you know, I want to see more. I want it to go on. Um, we would have had to tell a whole other story in, yeah. order, in order to do that. So we just tried to make it, you know, That's a, okay. a rewarding bit. Leave them wanting more. I think one time we had talked about actually playing out this end, actually, around the Kerchak death thing. Oh, that's right. And then uh, we decided, no, we'd make it like the following day or some, give it right. some separation. You know, we would have saved a lot of effects money had we done that. No, well, that's right. <laughs> Too late. Oh, well. I like Nigel Hawthorne's performance here. It was our last recording session with him. Mm-hmm. But he so was Porter at that moment that he came and gave such a yeah. a great dad. Right, there's a great sincere relationship here. It feels it feels real. It feels like they are a, a father and daughter. But you love him. Remember there was one point early on where he didn't encourage her to go, he just pushed her into the water. Mm-hmm. And that's how he encouraged her to make her decision. He right. just he just sort of right. pushed her in, and we felt like Jane needed to make her own decision, that she needed to make uh, you know, make the jump herself. Right, right. We talked a lot about that. I love this. I just love that she's the aggressive one in this in this scene. But then she catches herself. <laughs> that does it. Oh yes, it's not even nineteen hundred yet. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Glenn Keane told me he'd like to reanimate the kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the animators would love to reanimate every scene they did, probably. <laughs> I could have made it better, he said. And then the debate of whether to make Porter stay or not. I think we boarded it every way possible. We did. Of course. We- and put it up to find out what worked the best. And did. I think our crew, the feature animation crew, voted to... Everybody was behind him staying. They felt like well-deserved. Yeah. Jane needed him. She needed her family, Well, it was too. a true happy ending, yeah. Exactly. Everybody stayed. I think right. we talked a lot about what song would end the movie. I think at first Phil Collins had said, Son of Man. We always thought maybe Son of Man would actually be the song at the end, but... After Two Worlds came along, it just was such a great bookend for yeah. from the beginning. This is the great. ultimate deep canvas scene, in a sense. I think it's longer than any other deep canvas scene that we did. It involves every technique that we've learned in the making mm-hmm. of the movie. Every char- every main character is in, the, right. is in the scene. It's an amazing accomplishment. It's so breathtaking. My um, life just passed before my eyes. <laughs> well, at least four years of <laughs> yeah, your that's life. Right. <laughs> Kevin and Chris, did Direct. I ever thank you for letting me uh, be a part of this? I no. appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank send you. Us gifts. You know, when I when I first read the book, I thought, well, actually, before I read the book, actually, the way it turned out is, I thought, why make this movie when they offered it to me? And um, I thought so that would yeah, times. it's been done so many times. Why why do it again? There just seemed no need for it. And luckily, I read the book because the book really really told me that there was a Tarzan movie that had never been made. That relationship between he and he and the gorillas has never been explored in the in the way that we were able to explore it. Right, and then the way that he could move had never been seen. I mean, live actors could never do the stuff that uh, our animators could make Tarzan do. They'd, uh, they'd be dead. <laughs> I don't think you could <laughs> make one it through. one day. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't make it through a day of, of filming. 
So, uh, so that was another reason we could do that. Um, and I, and I ultimately, you know, sitting here watching it again, I'm I'm glad we I'm glad we made this movie because <laughs> there was really a part of me that was thinking about uh, not doing it. It's funny we got this um, about three months, I think, or so before the end of the movie. We got a letter that we had never seen actually that was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs to his son Jack, and I believe it was 1936. And at that time, they were considering doing a cartoon version of Tarzan. And it said three things. I think it said that the film should be naturalistic. Right. That there should be humor injected into the Mm -hmm. film. And And more importantly, I think it said it should be, the animation should be good. It should be... Approximate Disney excellence, I think is how it was uh, And we all looked at each other, and and when I showed it to the guys, we were all relieved that we didn't get that about three and a half years before (laughs) that because we'd have been totally intimidated by that. But at least we we felt that in the end we felt really validated. that. Yeah, that maybe maybe we had done the right thing and that perhaps Edgar Rice Burroughs is up there with a big grin on his face that we had uh, created the Tarzan that he, he envisioned. I know his grandson was thrilled when he saw the movie. Danton Burroughs, just thrilled. I just look at all these names. My God, I think there are 1,100 names in the credits, and I think there are other people that touch the movie even above and beyond that. That's amazing. Just a, you know, big overwhelming thanks to my to the production crew and. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have done it without them. It's just it's hard. I mean, we were you know Florida and Paris and Burbank and. Lots of, uh, you know, day-to-day involvement. comes down to that, you know, this movie is really about the collaboration of, of this group of people at right. this moment in time. Well, and we show, we show the film, you know, throughout the four years. We show rough cuts of it to the crew as we go, and we get lots of input from them about, you know, the ideas they like or don't like and, you know, different, well, different really ideas. We're lucky in a sense that we get to edit the film before we shoot the film in a sense. We, we put our storyboards up on film and we cut the dialogue to it to create our film. So we know what we're making and we know where the, the pitfalls are and what we want to go back in and fix. That's another thing I think that's probably very different from live action. You go out and you shoot your film, you put it together and you got what you got and you try to make it work as best you can. We get the opportunity over, you know, the three years of making, four years of making the movie to constantly improve it. Absolutely. I was thinking how, how fortunate we were to, as we hear the music over the credits here, how Phil Collins be a part of this project because I think he brought, he just elevated the whole project to some, to another level for us. And, you know, not just create, you know, emotionally, creatively, um, all the things that he brought. I mean, it's exciting to have a collaborator like that who would work with you every day. I mean, we right, talked yeah. with, there were moments we talked, times we talked with Phil in the process. I mean, every day. There wasn't a, a week that went by that I know that he and I weren't talking right. two yeah. or three times. I mean, he week. would call me at home to talk about lyrics. That's how committed he was to this uh, collaboration. Even going into it, I think we weren't sure exactly how he would fit in the in the process. And, you know, are we going to have the character sing or are we not? Or, you know, right. is, uh, is Phil going to write with somebody or do all the writing himself? He, I know he, he wanted to perform. He performed in a lot of the, um, the songs himself, so a lot of the drumming, the percussion. Right. Well, that's really why he's the perfect fit for this movie is his sense of percussion. Right from the very beginning, we knew that that was something that he would bring to the film, that he would set that texture. I think a part of that, too, is for him is, again, just like everybody, he read the book, and I think some of it was for the Tarzan character and the Tarzan story, trying to feel true to that. And um, 
when we started getting the demos in from him, not only hearing what he had written, but also hearing him actually sing the songs himself. Mm-hmm. And it was so, his voice was so emotional. Mm-hmm. And it brought something to it that when we, even we tried or thought about having someone else sing it other than him, it didn't, it didn't have quite the same resonance. Right. It didn't have the same soul as when he is when he sang them, which led to the idea of maybe letting him be the emotional voice of the character in song, that we could actually do that and support our story with, uh, with his sound, with his voice. Oh, we're coming to the end of the movie here, finally. Seven minutes of credits. <laughs> it seems like four years to me, actually. I know, I know. hate to say goodbye, everybody, but thanks for being with us. We enjoyed it. Hope you discovered some new um, little tidbits about how animation is actually... Uh, Put together, and specifically, I guess, how this film was put together. Right. So, thank you guys for sitting with us, and uh, I hope you have as much fun as we did. And we'll see you next time. Bye.